where do you go to for guidance these days? Like, what are the, the voices, maybe the resources, the podcasts? Maybe it's that close friend. You know, who is it? What voices do you listen to the most when you feel like you need to know that it's a trusted opinion? Some really good advice because you've got a big question. You're trying to make a decision or, or life is just a little bit crazy right now. It feels like that's one of the most difficult things to figure out, right? It's who can I trust when I really need guidance? And when and how and what do you go to God for? Maybe when you're in that crisis or you have that decision to make because there's something you're thankful for. Maybe you need a favor or maybe you need some forgiveness. See, the way that Saul would answer those questions shapes everything that happens in 1 Samuel 28 today. Let's look at it together. The first verse says, Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish, the enemy king of the Philistines, said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. All right, so catch this. David, coming off of chapter 27, all the compromise that we saw last week, he's in so deep with the enemy that the enemy king is actually willing to trust the man who killed Goliath as his personal bodyguard. Yeah, David's in deep. It goes on in verse 3 to say, now Samuel had died. And all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. Now this is a critical piece of foreshadowing information. It's sort of like if you've ever read the Christmas Carol, the first line of the book, Marley was dead to begin with. Dead as a doornail. And then it goes on to describe how unless you know that, nothing else you see here is going to be wondrous or make any sense. And it's actually almost the exact same words we saw in chapter 25, verse 1, before David kind of went sideways with Nabal. I think part of why that's here is so we recognize how the loss of spiritual leadership from Samuel so deeply affected both David and Saul. But there's another piece of information here. It also says that Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Now, that was a good move by Saul early in his career when it looked like there still might be hope for his kingship because mediums and spiritists are essentially people who are in touch with the dark side of the spiritual world. God had specifically told his people, stay away from them. In fact, in Leviticus 20, verse 6, he states it as strongly as to say that the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. So from those two pieces of foreshadowing, back to the present moment, in verse 4 it tells us, Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. So where are we at here? David is helping the enemy, Samuel is dead. The Philistines have amassed an enormous army and Saul is afraid. Just like he was in chapter 13 when he disobeyed God because of his fear and lost the kingdom. It says his heart trembled within him just like Eli's heart did in chapter 4 when the presence of God departed 
and his entire family died. Which tells you a little bit of the mindset and the heart that Saul is in right now as we come to our key verses. I think the key verses are verses 6 and 7. It says, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. So we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of another episode of How Not to Be Saul. And you notice, how, how, when he inquires of the Lord, I mean, is there anything more terrifying than thinking that he came to the Lord, but the Lord did not answer? But notice it's specifically either by dreams or Urim or prophets. And how quickly he turns from supposedly seeking God's will to a medium. The exact opposite. Not just to his friends, but to something that is on the darkness of spirituality. Because ultimately it seems like what he wants is just to get out of this situation. So if you're like me, I start asking, how do I not end up like Saul? And I think there are three questions that we can ask ourselves today to help us process how to avoid that. And the first one's pretty straightforward. Am I going to something besides God for guidance? Is there some voice in my life, some resource in my life that is louder than God and his word? Something that I run to more quickly or more often? Now, maybe for you, it's, it's not a medium like it was for Saul. But, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's the media. You know, sometimes we get so invested in this thing or that thing, and we know how hard it is to find things that are unbiased, and we can spend all of our energy searching for those voices. Or if I'm honest with myself, I know that, that one of the things that will lead me astray in my life is like, when I kind of know that this is what God has said, but I'm not sure I like that. That sounds painful or costly. And so I just check in with this friend or mentor. And they affirm that. So I check in with this one too. And I check in with this one too. And I, aha, here we go. This person seems to think there might be a way around it. And I, you know, I think you might be right. And in reality, I'm several steps removed from God's guidance because I'm pursuing something else that says what I wanted to hear. I think that is what's happening with Saul. Because if you think about the specific ways it says that God did not answer him, dreams, Urim, prophets, we haven't seen Saul in any kind of relationship with God for years. We haven't really seen him seek God with his heart for years. And even here, he's going after kind of this religiosity, right? That, hey, maybe if somebody gets a dream, maybe if I can talk to a prophet, maybe if we can use the Urim to try to figure out how do I get out of this? When he's actually ignoring what God might have already said. So, so think about this. Saul had directly disobeyed Samuel multiple times in his life. So it makes sense then that he no longer hears God through the prophets. That God isn't answering him that way. Or, or we mentioned chapter 13 where God gave Saul a direct, clear command and because of fear, Saul disobeyed it. So it makes sense then, if he's ignoring direct commands, that God probably wouldn't speak through something less direct like a dream. Or how about the Urim? Remember, the Urim are connected to the breastplate that the priests would have worn. 
And so there's somehow that they would use this almost like casting lots to try to understand God's will. Now, we don't really have anything like this anymore. But remember, each of these medallions represents one of the 12 tribes. And in chapter 14, God actually allowed the Urim to be used to show Saul that his son Jonathan was innocent. Saul ignored the Urim and tried to kill Jonathan anyway. So it makes sense that God wouldn't speak to him through the Urim or the priests who used the Urim because in chapter 22, Saul killed an entire city's worth of priests because they tried to speak God's truth to him about David and he didn't want to hear it. You see, essentially long before God isn't answering Saul, Saul has stopped listening to God. If you remember all the way back in chapter 3 of our study, Chad unpacked this word Shema, which really means to listen, but not just to listen. It's, it's stronger, like it's to listen and obey. Sometimes it's translated heed. And in a way, that's like a theme for the entire book. We have seen Saul consistently not heed God to the point that now God is not answering him anymore because he knows Saul will not obey. In fact, that's where Saul finds himself back in verse 7. His servants said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Now, now wait a minute. I thought it said that he cast out all the mediums. How often is that some of what happens in our lives that maybe early on we take a stand, we say this matters to me and I want to do the right thing for God and over the course of time we slowly pull back, we slowly drift into compromise because although it says he put the mediums out, not only is there a medium there but his own people know about it. They know right where to find her and there's a sense in which Saul kind of knows he shouldn't be going to that so it says Saul disguised himself And put on other clothes. And he went and two men with him and they came to the woman by night. And he said, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Now I know this is starting to get a little bit weird because the word medium and the word seance are actually translations of the same word. The Hebrew word ov, which means someone who has a familiar spirit, either possessed by or in touch with something that is essentially demonic. Like That's how far Saul has drifted. I'm sure that's why he disguises himself, but think about this. Remember, he's described as head and shoulders taller than everyone else in the nation. So I think put on whatever clothes you want. <laughs> We're still going to know it's Saul, right? In fact, I think the medium is going to know it's Saul and that she kind of plays along with this because she's been running this business. But not only that, it says he goes by night. Now, you've got to understand the lay of the land to see exactly what's happening here. We heard that the Philistines are encamped at Shunem. Right? So right at the base of this mountain in this field. Saul has come to Mount Gilboa with the Israelites. Like, they can see each other from here. But because he is afraid, because he knows that what he's doing is wrong, he disguises himself, uses the cover of darkness... Isn't that most often when we give in to compromise? When we hope nobody sees us. When we hope no one's around. And he literally sneaks deeper into enemy territory to get to Endor. Where he's going to find this medium. 
the second question I think we can ask ourselves becomes kind of obvious. Am I disguising compromised behavior? Am I disguising compromised behavior? Is there some place where I'm not seeking God's guidance? If I was honest with myself, I'm stepping into something that feels a little off, that maybe I know it's wrong, and I end up trying to sneak deeper into enemy territory. See, the challenge for Saul, I think what makes this so concerning for him is that he's acting like he still wants to hear from God, but he's really still seeking his own will. That the thing he wants most right now is, is to get out of this, right? It's the same kind of fear that controlled him earlier in his life. And I think this is what happens to you and I sometime. I know I've experienced this. So, so even as I'm saying this, I want you to hear, this is not like the shame on you to anybody that feels this way because I've been there. Where there's sort of like, I want a blessing from God. Can I have it without obedience? Because I don't really want to do this thing that God is asking me to do. And sometimes we're aware of that. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's unintentional. That we're not really spending a lot of time with God until there's something we want, right? I mean, we, we all kind of feel those moments. And so I think what's happening to Saul as he digs into this compromise is very similar to what happened with David in chapter 27. In fact, if you didn't catch Chad's message last week, I think if you go and listen to that, you'll hear that what happened to David is just like what's happening to Saul. Then in a strange way, the two of them have become more like each other than we ever would have thought. That like Saul, we begin to focus on the benefit of the compromise. We find a place where we can live in that compromise. We begin to hide the evidence of that compromise until ultimately, like Chad explained last week, we become that compromise. Chapters 27 and 28 are very strong parallels between these two kings. So is it any wonder that Saul's not hearing God? But there's a brighter side of this too. Because one of the things we see consistently from David is that he is willing to repent. He's willing to turn back. He's willing to own what went wrong and seek God again. And we haven't seen that from Saul. But that's possible for you. That's possible for us. In fact, there's a, a group of guys that I love to hang out with here from Horizon, and we, and we just kind of dig into God's word together. And I won't call anybody out by name, but over the last, I would say, year, maybe two years, we have seen multiple guys who were totally unaware of it come face-to-face -face with their pride. Face-to-face, -face realizing that that was the voice that guided them the most until they realized how much they were relying on themselves or their career instead of really relying on God. Multiple guys who have looked at alcohol and changed that pattern in their life when they realized they were using it as a crutch. That in a crisis, they were running to alcohol instead of to God. Multiple guys who have looked lust in the face and said, this is not how I want to think about you know, other people in my life, other dangers on the computer or anything else. Like, I need to turn that thing over to God. Multiple people, myself being one of them, who are willing to look anger in the face and say, there's actually a heart thing going on here more than just, I'm mad that somebody hurt me. And I love this because there's one part of us that says, I gotta fix myself and make myself acceptable to God. But what each of these guys has experienced and, and kind of as we've gone through it together is that we actually come to God, let him unpack what is the deeper reason that that's happening, allow him to heal us. 
allow us to feel his joy again. In fact, one of the guys I was talking to on the phone a couple weeks ago uh, named Jonathan, and I I loved this from Jonathan because he and I, especially early on with COVID, we were talking a lot about anxiety and how he felt like he was submitting to anxiety more than to God. And so when I talked to him two weeks ago, he said, well, you know, I guess it's a lot like 1 Samuel 23. Do tell. (laughs) Well, you know how God told David to stay in Nob, but David went to Gath anyway. And I guess I'm just praying, Lord, help me not react in anxiety and make choices I shouldn't make. Help me just stay in Nob if that's where you want me to rest. (laughs) I'm thinking, man, do you realize how much of a Bible nerd you sound like? But I love it. Because he's seeking God in his word for guidance to actually take God's word and say, if it's true, how does it reshape the way I approach my own life? You see, that is what Saul was missing. And we see this when he gets to the medium because in in verse nine, so this is the medium speaking now. The woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done. Now, I think she probably recognizes that it's him because of the way she talks about it. She knows that supposedly Saul put the mediums out, but she's still operating this business. So I I think she's kind of covering for herself. The woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? Right, like if, if she thinks this is Saul, hey, Saul's the one that was supposedly put us out. This is a trap, right? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Now this is multiple times now we've seen him, without ever talking to the Lord, claiming that his plan is the Lord's. He actually promises her safety when God has said this person should be cast out. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Wait, what? (laughs) Did, Did you just read the same thing that I just read? What in the world is going on here? Right now we see how all this foreshadowing comes together. That he put the mediums out, but he came to one anyway. That Samuel is dead. Then what is happening in this moment? Now, believe it or not, I don't actually think that this is the point of the passage, but it's easily the biggest question that's going to jump to your mind because it jumped to mine. Like, is this really Samuel? Now, people have debated this for centuries on both sides of this thing, and so I want to give you both sides, and then I'll tell you kind of how I lean. Because on one side, it seems like this couldn't be Samuel because if she's in touch with some kind of dark arts stuff, then she shouldn't have the power to bring Samuel back, right? And, and besides, if that does work, then wouldn't people think that this is one of the available options that, that we really should be in touch with the dead? And yet God repeats, not only in Leviticus, but also in Isaiah, no, we shouldn't try to be in touch with that kind of stuff. We shouldn't go to these things. So some people say, for that reason, this can't really be it. On the other side, the passage never presents it as a mistaken identity. The passage just presents it as he perceived Samuel. 
And in a verse we'll see, now Samuel said to Saul. On top of that, did you notice how startled the woman is when this happens? Now her spirit, whatever she's in touch with, is called a familiar spirit. She's familiar with it. She's used to it. But whatever's happening here seems different because she shouts out. She cries out. On top of that, remember we looked at the Hebrew word ov. That's the kind of spirit she's familiar with. But here, she uses a different word. This is actually the word Elohim. That's the word for God or gods, which of course it's not. But to me, that might be a hint that whatever ov she's familiar with, this isn't it. And she doesn't even know what to call it. it it's like a, an Elohim or something. And the final piece is that it describes Samuel as an old man wearing a mantle, which seems to hint back to the mantle in chapter 15 that Saul grabbed and tore when Samuel told him that the kingdom would be torn away from him. So I kind of lean towards thinking that in some strange way, this really is Samuel speaking. He'll also go on to give a little bit more prophecy. But I think it's important for us in a challenging text like this that we don't base any major theologies or decisions about the afterlife or how we treat it based on something like this. Is that fair enough? Because then we'll see in the next verse, now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Now again, you have to realize God has already revealed to Saul what he should do. What Saul actually means is, I'm hoping somebody can get me out of this. And that he's so deep in that he's still looking for something, someone, some mediator of some kind, the Urim, the Thurim, the priest, the prophets, a dream, this lady or Samuel, somebody get me out of this. Then Samuel said, so why do you ask me? seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy. And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. See what Samuel just told him is essentially you already know what God has asked of you and you haven't done it. So what do you think I'm going to tell you differently than God would? And I know because I've done this. I know, you know, people will come to me and it's like, hey, I I know God kind of says this, but like, do you think this is okay? And it's sort of like, I'm not even sure why you're asking me. (laughs) I'm not sure why I ask other people that if I already know this piece. The reality is I just, I just don't want to do it. And that's the place that Saul is caught. The Lord has departed from you because you did not obey. You see, what he really needs here is not a favor. It's, it's not some advice. It's not guidance. He needs repentance. He needs forgiveness. In fact, that's the third question. Am I asking God for favors instead of forgiveness? Am I asking God for favors instead of forgiveness? 
You know, as you think about the moment that Saul is in, it is terrifying to think of a time that God would no longer speak to you. And I want to make sure that we're clear that, that this is different than like sometimes when you just feel like you're not hearing from God or when you've been praying about something and you haven't seen a specific answer. The situation that Saul is in, God describes so clearly as to say he has departed from Saul and he is Saul's enemy. If you are a follower of Christ, you will never be in that moment. If you are a follower of Christ, if you have trusted him for your forgiveness, then God says, while you were his enemy, Christ died for you. And in that forgiveness, in your salvation through Christ, he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And you will never be in the moment that Saul is in. There may be times when I am coming to him for favors, but I really need to repent, that I really need forgiveness. There will be times that, you know, the Bible tells us God will use discipline to draw us back to himself. It may be that that decision to follow Christ is one that you've never made before. In which case, I think that what God wants most of all is not just to drop us some blessings or give us some favors or help us out of a jam. I think he wants a relationship. And that comes through the forgiveness that comes through Christ. That what Saul was missing was the relationship. And so much of what we do here at Horizon is for exactly that reason. It's not just to keep you busy. It's not just to have you at church. It's, it's to help you get to know God through his word. That like this is the most obvious place that he speaks to us loud and clear. I was talking to a young couple recently who, who were wanting to work on their relationship together. And I love that as we spoke, they said, we don't just want to grow in our relationship together, though we also each want to grow in our relationships with God. And, and the gal who was talking, she said one of the ways that she's been trying to do that, because they love the weekend and it fires them up when they get to hear a message or you know, talk to some other people, but now she's been going during the week when there's a passage that she's wondering about, a question that she's wondering about, to jump onto Horizon's website or Horizon's app, you know, type in that question to the resource page, and find those tools that help her dig into the Bible so that she knows God better. And of course, there, there are many tools that can help you do that. Our, our app, our website, are, are two of them that we've tried to really carefully craft just for you because of how helpful we think that is. Not just to know about the Bible, but to know the Bible. Not just to know about God, but to know God. That is the difference, I think, and it can be, between us and what Saul was experiencing. Samuel goes on in verse 19 and says, on top of all this, moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Again, don't read too much into that. I think he's essentially saying, soon you'll be dead too in the afterlife. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him for he had eaten no food all day or night. You see, in this moment, Saul is feeling the anguish and the terror of being separated from God. And the woman 
came to Saul, I mean, she's got to be thinking, like, if the king sees me and then dies, I'm toast. I don't want this on my head. The woman came to Saul, saw that he was severely troubled, and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I have put my life in your hands. I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now, therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. Remember, he's got to sneak back past the Philistines again. But he refused and said, I will not eat. That's how heavy this weight is on him. So his servants, together with the woman, urged him and he heeded their voice how many times he did not heed God's voice but he received this comfort from a place of darkness then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed now the woman had a fatted calf in the house and she hastened to kill it and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it so she brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate then they rose and went away that night The end? Oh, man. That's it? The end? Well, kinda. And if you're like me, this is the moment that I want to know more than any other moment, how do I not end up like that? How do I not end up like Saul? How do I avoid this? Like this is the Ebenezer Scrooge moment saying like, is it already too late? Like surely I wouldn't have this message. I wouldn't be holding 1 Samuel 28 if it was too late, right? So what I want you to hear is that no matter how badly you have messed up, what you see in these last chapters of 1 Samuel is that David's darkness is every bit as dark right now as Saul's. But one of them is willing to repent And one of them goes even deeper. That no matter how far gone you are right now, only God knows when a person has passed the point where they refuse to return. If you're hearing me today, it's not too late. If you've never turned to him before, you can still turn to him. If you haven't turned to him in a while, then today is a great day for that. In fact, Here, I think, is exactly what this difference looks like. I want to show you this because in asking that question, I I asked myself, like, does the Bible say anything else about Saul? Anything else that I could dig into to help me understand so that I could sort of be like, oh, thank goodness, I'm not like him. Like, isn't that totally our tendency? But there is something in 1 Chronicles. Now, 1 Chronicles, it speaks about this exact moment and why Saul died great way that you can just use the Bible to define the Bible. It says Saul died for his unfaithfulness which he had committed against the Lord, right? His disobedience. Because he did not keep the word of the Lord and also because he consulted a medium for guidance but he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David the son of Jesse. Alright, so he disobeyed and he did not inquire of the Lord. Except, wait, doesn't 1 Samuel 28 say he did inquire of the Lord? (laughs) All right, so I love this. This is how you use the Bible to define the Bible because this is the kind of thing that someone who's unsure or skeptical about this will bring up and say, well, doesn't the Bible contradict itself? So here's another fantastic tool that I wanted to show you that helped me unpack exactly this question as I was preparing for this message. It's called Blue Letter Bible. 
I use the app, but there's a desktop version too. But this is what the app looks like, and it's got the Bible in there. And if you click on any verse, so I can come back to 1 Samuel where it says, Saul inquired of the Lord. All right, so what's going on here? I wondered to myself, maybe it's a different word in the Hebrew or something. So you can go into that app, tap on any verse, and it'll bring up this menu. You can get text commentaries that help explain what's going on in the passage, help you understand some of that deep stuff. Um, You can actually tap interlinear, and it will show you all of the Hebrew or the Greek lined up with the English. So even if you don't know those languages, you can get a little bit into what their deeper meaning might be. Now when I did that, this is what I found. In 1 Samuel, it says that he inquired of the Lord and then he inquired of the medium, but they are actually two different words. When he inquired of the Lord, it uses the word sha'al, which is essentially to ask for a favor or beg for something. Now, that's not wrong. In fact, we'll see David do that in a couple chapters. It uses that word other places when people are talking to God about something they need. But notice the word that it uses with the medium. This is the word darash. Now, darash has a little bit of a stronger meaning. It has the idea of seeking with one's heart. So he asked God for a favor, but he sought the medium with his heart. Now, when we come back to First Chronicles, the thing it says he did not do of the Lord, darash, seek. You see, ultimately, Saul wanted God's help, but he didn't want God. And he goes searching for any other mediator he can, somebody who will try to win God over for him instead of actually seeking the Lord himself. So what is the solution here for us? You see, because living on this side of the cross, we have this even more clearly. That when Saul was looking for the wrong mediator, we hear in 1 Timothy chapter, one, chapter 2, there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. I want to tell you about this one mediator. Because in many ways, the book of 1 Samuel is a tale of two kings. David and Saul. One who goes completely off track and another one who goes completely off track. But one who's willing to repent. One who is not. One who seeks the Lord and one who's only asking for favors. But in another way, 1 Samuel and really the entire Bible are the story of one king, one mediator, and that's Jesus. See, Saul was supposed to be the king of Israel. He was supposed to save God's people from the enemy. Instead, he disobeyed, knew the anguish of being separated from God, and died for his sin. If you read Matthew 27, this one mediator, Jesus, Jesus is convicted of being the king of the Jews and the king of Israel, the true king of Israel, who died on the cross to save God's people from their enemy. And on that cross, he cried out in anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Jesus was willing to be treated like Saul. Jesus died for our sin. And when he did, that same chapter, Matthew 27, says that the veil in the temple was torn in two. That there is no longer anything between you and God. No, no dreams, no Urim, no prophets, no priests, not me, not Chad, not your mentor, not anybody else. You can go and seek God directly through Jesus Christ. And we have a chance to do that right now. We're going to close with a song today that David wrote when he learned how to seek God. It comes right out of Psalm 34, and we're going to sing these words. I sought the Lord. Darash, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. <laughs>